Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what I do when I typical. have like, and I did it yesterday two phallic from, items. Yeah. from yeah, Lowe's. Yeah, yeah. When I have two phallic items, I'll yeah. go sword fight. And it'll be yeah, like yeah. as if we're sword fighting with two dicks. That's what right. I do. That's so you just like how I am. Swords, how I, that's how I've been raised. You, how I was and so raised. yesterday we went to Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. On so, that's how you've been so raised. so many levels. <laughs> Welcome to Mild Man and the Timid with three brown folks that are tired of that safe shit. And we're live. I forgot Hello, what episode everybody. it is again. 58. Episode 58. 58. There we go. Episode 58. Hi, everyone. Hello. How is everyone doing? Oh, I left the window open, so you probably hear mad tweeting. Yeah, there was, um, there was a lot of noise but last... But not the... There was a lot of uh, noise last episode from your mic. Oh, well. <laughs> it won't be the inflammatory kind of. Tweeting, is it because the AC was on? Yeah, it was because the I, AC. I think that might have been that might have been true. Yeah, it's okay. I can't close the window now because it's just gonna mess with my mojo. Um, so I'm Aaron Timid, episode fifty-eight. How how we doing, everybody? I'm at Cali Say. Let me introduce my glorious co-founders and co-creators and co-eds and co-ops and cooperative apartment buildings. Hey, Kush, what's up? I'm at Kush Parm. It's your boy with the moist always. Yeah. There we go. And Rhea. Hello. And there she is. <laughs> at Rianjali. I'm at Rianjali Music. At Rianjali Music. So we're back. We're going to do something different this time. There's no main segment. The main segment is going to be a conversation with the Deputy Legislative Director of the New York State Senate because we're still very much, Ow. there's a lot of protests going on right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people are still dying, as Kush was just telling us, off the air, which is a cool thing to say, off the yeah. air. <laughs> um, a Wendy's just got burnt down, which Rhea's probably really pissed In about, Atlanta. just on a separate on a separate level. Yeah. yeah. But, Spicy nuggets. But it got, when, Wendy's, but it got Wendy burnt down. Wendy and I are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so there's yet another, you know, incident of... Uh, of violence against black people happening. We, I'm not sure I know everything about it. So if, if you do Kush, feel free to talk about it, but I, I figured we could just leave it at there's something. It just happens. Yeah. So I mean, like, people can look it up. Um, yeah, I think the people, I think the assholes that are going to make the argument for this situation is that this guy was resisting arrest. He ran sure. and he had a taser in his hand, but the taser is non-lethal. Yeah. I think that's right. why people are protesting against this situation in Atlanta. But then obviously you're going to have naysayers, of course, be like, well, he shouldn't yeah. have ran. He shouldn't have pointed a taser at the cops, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. All that is true. But you got to the, the whole problem is that they don't know their training doesn't involve them understanding what to do ex- except for shooting in that situation. And if it does, it's very short. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's weird because I assume you I, I always thought that you have to you're justified in equal force back, not like. Yeah, justified in raising the level of force. So if somebody's shooting a taser at you, sure, that's going to be uncomfortable and that's going to fucking suck. But I don't think it would rise to the level of rise to the level of you fear for your life. And and I say that thinking that this guy wasn't like a lone cop. Like it's not like yeah. this dude was gonna. There's two stay. cops. He, yeah, he didn't have the. I feel like he couldn't have had the fear that this guy was going to tase him. And then come back, stand over his body, and like, tase him again, him, yeah. and then keep tasing him. Like I don't, I don't know how somebody would justify that. There were two cops here, so. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand any of that. But I, I'm with you. Like it's, it's. Uh, yeah, but also that's why they have tasers is because it's a non-lethal way of putting yeah, somebody down. Yeah, it's a non-lethal, down. exactly. Unless, of yeah. course, they yeah. have a heart issue, then um, so that, did that can the, lead to death. But yeah, did yeah, yeah, the yeah. other cop not have his taser? 
No, that's, the other cop did, I think, but he pulled his gun. Right? Yeah, he pulled his gun. He, might, I so don't know like, if he did have a taser that... or not. I honestly don't know okay. that detail, but he shouldn't yeah. have pulled his gun either way. Also, yeah. I mean, not that I condone any of this, but if you're gonna pull your gun, you might want to shoot Low. where you know it's not gonna <laughs> kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't know that there's enough discussion on that ever, because didn't somebody tell us that? that when they've talked to cops or something, you know, when or when they've read up on it or something like that, that the reason cops sometimes will shoot to kill as opposed to shooting at the leg or anything is if they shoot at the leg and the person survives, there's, it becomes their, the cop's word against this person. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Somebody was telling us that. So I'm, I'm not, I'd like, that's a crazy <laughs> thing. If that's the whole reason, like, that sounds crazy to even say, like, they kill people so that no one can tell the story. Oh, that shit. sounds like right, the mafia? and I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that's the cartel. true. Yeah. I don't think that that's true of every cop. Let me say that. But like, I forget who said this to me, and I was like, "Huh, that's that's weird." Because otherwise, I would think, "Yeah, you should shoot at their like dick or something, yeah, at their leg." Or obviously, some shit. that like, would be like an off-record kind of like tip. Yeah, yeah, within, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Not right, at right, the right. dick. I think that can kill you from blood loss. Oh, only yeah. if you only if you're Darlene with a shotgun. Feel me. Yeah, because shout out to bad. Ozark. Mm, if you get shot in the dick, there's no stopping that bleeding. Because I've nicked myself around my crotch. So that that blood does not stop. <laughs> what? It's very um, it's very vascular, right? What it, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're asking the wrong question. Stop. <laughs> what? <laughs> what were you doing? Uh, well, you know, trimming. I got a with a, I got a manscape. With a, with a razor? With like a fucking? No, with a gun. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. With a goddamn no, Cutco knife? What were you trimming? <laughs> exactly. Were you using an X-Acto knife? <laughs> yes. That, that's how everybody shaves. Hey, you know, we have one and it's really sharp. I might try it's that. Terrifying. Next time, <laughs> it's terrifying. Oh, please don't. Like if you pull a strand and you just go, it yeah. probably just comes right off. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably what That's it is. the sound. I'm very effect. disturbed. Yeah. I'm very disturbed at the motions that just happen right now. <laughs> if yeah. you pull a strand. No, it's like that part. It's that part, not the strand. Remember that? And then you just go. Yeah. Okay, it's that's like a guitar. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. There's frequencies so there to this shit. <laughs> so back to so where, we went you know, from police brutality to <laughs> to exacto knives, exacto <laughs> knives in your balls. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. So that's cool. horrible. But uh, yeah, so our main segment is going to be the conversation with uh, with that deputy legislative director. I think that's I think that's really cool. It's really informative. Um, it's super informative, and we'll let that run in a little bit. So for the time being. We can get to the fucking news. Hey. We can get to the fucking news. Oh, I like that. That was my new sound effect. I like that. I like that one. So, first article. Woman becomes first observant seek to graduate from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations. Though the picture that I saw, it looked like she cuts her hair. Oh. Not that you don't. a tight bun or something. It looked like it was, was it not that not that you can't cut your hair. I just thought that the point of this was to say that she's one of the one of the Sikhs that they don't no, cut she, their hair. Her hair is not cut. She's got a low bun. Oh, okay, low bun, low, low bun, low bun. Okay, cool. Yeah, so then, just, yeah, forget me then. So she, her name's Second Lieutenant Anmol Narang. She's mm-hmm. a second generation immigrant, born and raised in Georgia, and she's the academy's first observant Sikh, meaning she follows the religious practices. Um, including the one that calls for allowing one's hair to grow naturally without cutting it. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, awesome. that's a big move. So th- yeah, that basically awesome. what that's saying is that there were other Sikhs to graduate, but n- not mm. observant, which means that they weren't practicing Sikh, like their religion. Yeah, like there was oh. a, in Congress, there was a law that prohibited 
various religious communities from practicing certain aspects of their faith while they're in the military. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the rationale is about why, but the military is always like, I think different branches of the military have always been about you have to be very clean cut. They want everybody mm-hmm. to be the same. They want soldiers. Yeah. They don't want individualism. <laughs> that's there, basically oh, what that's it good. is. There you go. Okay, I like that. I like that. That that's uh yeah, that's exactly what it is likely because I didn't I didn't know why cuz this has been since 1987 the law yeah. prohibiting certain you know certain communities i was like why if people want to volunteer to fight for you why would you turn them I know, down but it's like a cult thing because they want to make sure people are following orders right so it's just like they try to strip down well i mean this is just like my theory right i, uh-huh. I don't know if it's like real or not i know it's a good theory i think it's yeah, true I think it's a good theory. I, from what i understand like they kind of strip you of an identity which is why everybody needs to have the same hair why everybody's like you know they just want people to follow in line and not be disobedient because you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta lead these people into war. You gotta chain of command right? and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's just weird to me. I'm like, I would, I don't care if you cut your hair or not. Like, if you if you're willing to fight and die for me, that seems to be about my only requirement. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. you don't need to cut your hair for me. But anyways, congrats. This is to why her. you are not the leader of these <laughs> groups. Unfortunately, it's very true. Also, I mean, I the, would like for that to happen, but America would be like, no, no, no. You must no, no, be no. part of a cult. Yeah, I think. Um, that's pretty cool though. Her name, you know, her name again, Anmol Narang. And if you know her, tell her we said what's up. That's just that's just what it is. Tell her we said what's up. Hello, Anmol. Yeah. Um, Hello. Congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. And I hope that she starts teaching them that Sikh that Sikh martial arts. What is it called? Do you, do you know what it's called? There's a Sikh martial oh, arts. I did not know yeah. that there was a Hold Sikh on. martial arts. Hold on, I'm gonna tell you the name of it right now. Gutka. I hope she starts gutka. teaching them the gutka. Whoa. Yeah, it's called the gutka. I'm gonna look I this up after starts- the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope she starts teaching right gut now. gut training courses at West Gut-ga. Point. That would be fucking sick. Yo, so good for her. That's pretty dope. It is a style of stick fighting with wooden sticks. Wait, <laughs> we did that yesterday, Kunal. Time out, time yeah. out, time out. Yeah, we yeah, have yeah, two we large wooden sticks sitting in our living Wait, room. Wait, time right out, now. time out. Before you say that, you have to lead with a really inflammatory comment, which is me and Kunal are me and me and Kunal are proficient at gut gut fighting. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Like we've we, been training um, all our lives. Oh my Actually, God. what what really happened? Because this happened before with Gulfi. Before there was a time, sometime maybe like last year, we yeah, fought with, with Gulfi. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah, fought yeah. with Gulfi before. So he um he didn't. This was I don't even want to bring up this time because I think this is very embarrassing for me and for you. But like he didn't know what Gulfi was. What like how long oh, ago? Yeah, 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 yeah. This no, was, it was like last about year. a year ago. Yeah. What, what do you mean? You know, I he thought. Did not, I thought. No, don't speak. Don't speak. I thought my turn. was Faluda. That's what I thought. Don't oh. speak. It's my turn okay. because I don't even know how you can explain yourself. Because when I was like, we were at my parents' house, and I was like, "Yo, we're in Jackson Heights. Let's go get some Gulfi." And he was like, "What's that again?" And I was like, "What I thought in my head when I even right now when I see Kofi in my head I think Faluda and I'm not sure where that synapse got like But are you a random white person who is confused about the things in a different culture because Kofi and Faluda to us is very distinct and we understand the differences I never go for either of those things that's the problem so I've never I've never been corrected No I I didn't know know what they were you know a lot of brown stuff, but like you don't know a lot of brown stuff. Like it's Fact. very. He doesn't confusing. know like the basic Fact. shit, like the basic basic Facts. shit, right? Yeah. But I loved That's it once I had it. The re- no, the it wasn't even a year. It was more than a year back when I realized because it was at Summit's wedding when they yeah. had the the kulfi that you dip in chocolate. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like two years That's ago. That's when I, I figured out. I said, yeah. this is Kulfi? I was like, this is a fucking ice pop. And I love it. That chocolate yeah. chocolate dipped Kulfi. So that was sick. Yeah. But so yeah, basically, he- we went to Jackson Heights. We got it. And then when we came back, he was so excited, I guess, for having Kulfi. So if, if this is the Kulfi mm-hmm. in one my hand, <laughs> he had one in his hand. And he takes it and he goes... For anyone who's listening, I'm just kind of playing Dondia with it. But then he goes sword fight, sword fight. <laughs> and he but pretended I'm... that it was two penises. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what I do when I typical. have like, and I did it yesterday. Two phallic items. Yeah. From yeah, Lowe's. Yeah, yeah. When I have two phallic items, I'll yeah. go sword fight. And it'd be yeah, like yeah. as if we're sword fighting with two dicks. That's what right. I do. That's so you just like how cross I am. Swords, that's, how I, that's how I've been raised. You, that's how I was and so raised. yesterday we went to Lowe's. <laughs> Sorry, on so, that's how you've on been so raised. many levels, so many levels. That's how my thick has been raised. That's how I have been raised. <laughs> are, are, are there and any now, therapists that listen to the show? Because that would be nice if know, we can get know. a therapist to kind of therapize for us. sure. And I <laughs> think yeah, like Kunal now he's come to a point where he wants me to have a penis so I can sword fight with him. Yes, yes. I'm, I don't. I know a good. What? I know a place called Playtime Boutique uh, for Route <laughs> One uh, that has stuff like that. Hey, I think that's where we we went by. No, that was Romantic Depot. Mm. Remember, I pointed it out to you. It was on twenty two when we were going yeah. to get your gift, not from Romantic Depot. But I was like, we Rhea, were, look, that place is called Romantic Depot. We were Depot. actually trying to get to Home Depot, but we lost our way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ended up in Romantic so, Depot. We were like, is this where people are like romantic? I don't know. They're in love and they go and pick up lumber. Yeah, <laughs> um, those are for lumberjacks. Yeah, it's, couple, in love. it's it's couples only home improvement. Yeah, is that that's, what it is? That's literally so. what I do all the time. We always go to Home Depot <laughs> and we do things. So speaking of uh, sword fighting and all that, and the gut gut basically to turn this all bring it back. We went to Lowe's because we need to figure out how to do that succulent table. So we got a bunch of dowels, and the dowels are like. Four we got feet. two of them. They're, They're like four, four feet. feet long, right? And so I was on the phone or I was texting and suddenly I feel a dowel in my butt <laughs> as I'm walking. As yeah, I'm this, walking. Is, this is way too much for me. I don't... No, no, no. no, no, no. It was in public. Like, it, it was literally like he poked my butt with the giant four foot dowel <laughs> as, as I was walking. And then I and, kept doing it in public. And, and I kept jumping up. I was like, whoa! Because <laughs> I was just like, what's happening? And I'm like... And he's just giggling like a child, like a fucking child. He just Anytime you have the opportunity to do that, you should take it. That's all I know. That's why I'm just like, oh. then, then we to, started taking wait, the sticks. Preface we to doing... somebody that you know and trust. Don't do yeah, that yeah, to yeah, random yeah. people. Yeah, don't just but sodomize you have anybody the... that you walk <laughs> yeah, behind. Yeah, anytime you have the opportunity <laughs> to poke your significant other in the butt, you should. That's what yeah. I think. It's okay to sodomize your significant other. That's, That's what, what we're think. saying here. I just want to say because you're freaking raised. me out with the word sodomize. <laughs> I just want to say you're freaking me out with the word sodomize. We were in public and it was just a little tap on my butt. It wasn't sodomy. Mul- multiple taps. Also, I think the title of this episode should be That's How I Was Raised. <laughs> Because that's going to be my response to everything yeah. on this. So mm-hmm. going back. So yeah, uh, Gutka. Gutka. Yeah, going back to Gutka. So, so now, you know, congrats to her. Congrats to Anmol. And then to on to some sadder, some sadder news coming out of India is that apparently yesterday, sa- yesterday, Saturday, <laughs> uh, this Bollywood actor, Sushant Singh Rajput, was found dead in his Mumbai home. Uh, he hung himself. Yeah. There was, there's no suicide note or anything like that so far. <clears throat> But um, that's really upsetting. I think it's it's crazy because as I was looking for articles on India, mm-hmm. it's that's it's kind thing. of like 
it's the only it's kind of amazing but also disappointing like i'm not i'm not saying anything negative about this man killing himself and being in the news like that's gonna happen it was just like kind of crazy that i had to scroll like pages yeah before i found even one thing that was not about his death yeah but i mean it's breaking news Mm. like it it just right right. released i guess that's why yeah yeah i also because they're just so bollywood focused you know what i mean it makes sense that like if something like this happens it would be throughout the you know throughout the news but as i was looking at the articles about him um I've never seen any of his movies. I think he was fairly famous, though. I've I've never seen them. But I did see that, like, certain people were saying that they saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Certain people were saying that the industry is really shallow because he was dealing with some mental health issues for a while. And, like, all these people who are posting about it now really just didn't care or give a shit. And yeah. now they, like, yeah. like celebrities, you know? So I saw yeah. certain articles about that, which, if true, very sad, which is, you know really sad that is terrible yeah. yeah yeah so i guess you know as we know more we we probably talk about it i'm i'm sure mental health is not something they're talking about in that industry very very much i've yeah. never really seen major actors like it's it's a topic that we talk about here as south asians like saying that we need to educate our south asian communities about mental health but i don't so i i do see a lot of that but i don't see people in india specifically top, talking about this topic. And I bet with everything that happens in India, there's a lot of people who do struggle and don't mm-hmm. get the no, attention I, they need. I think there's been a bigger movement um, in the past few years regarding mental health in India. Uh, it's just, I don't think people that have clout or whatever are talking about yeah, it yeah, as yeah. much as they should yeah. be. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think there's too many of those actors, actresses who are talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I, I know there is a bigger movement to you know, talk about mental health in India just because it's kind of globally happening. Like everything's happening at the same time right now, specifically, especially with every change that's happening, like just in terms of like world crises or crises. Um, Yeah. I wonder if the extent of their movement is them saying, Hey, look at PM Modi. He doesn't ever, he never got married and sits in a cave all day. He doesn't have mental health issues, <laughs> or maybe that is the reason for maybe, it. Maybe that is the reason. Yeah. Like, I wonder if that. I wonder if that's the extent of it. So, yeah, you know, R.I.P. to Sushant Singh Rajput, and then also R.I.P. to Samir Bangra. He was the co-founder of Qki Digital Media. He passed away, I think, from what we can tell, naturally in a road accident that happened. That's and- not natural, but yes. No, but like if, if it's not like someone attack. murdered him, you know, like it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. an accident a, happened, an accident. Oh, you know, oh, like uh, like that's what I meant by like that. Um, he had a, no, yeah, yeah. He, they don't a, suspect foul accident. play. Yeah, they don't like suspect any foul play just yet or anything. <laughs> but uh, we actually, Rhea just brought this up again when we were off air, and I didn't realize we've had some communications with Kuki in the past because we had some sort of collaboration, you know, thing going on, and I didn't realize it was actually with this man, Samir Bangra. So he was the first person that that AR he reached us out to us. Yeah. yeah, and we have emails with him. And then also when I went to India this past December in 2019 to perform with you too, we have a picture together of the whole group, like AR, his wife, it's me, crazy. Rahima, him. Um, in that moment, I, I remember like he quickly introduced himself and I didn't realize until after we left, AR was like, that's the founder of Kyuki, um, the one that I introduced you guys to. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize till afterwards. We spoke in person, but I like remember specifically his name from when we were put in touch with him. Craziness. Yeah. Craziness. He was so. really young. And apparently from what I hear from everyone is, you know, he was actually one of the good dudes in this mm-hmm. industry. 
And I say that because obviously there's a lot of shady people in this industry. We know that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and apparently he was one of the good ones, which Make- is. Really so then it makes upsetting. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So then it makes. So then it makes sense. Good ones always pass, right? Yeah, the good one, good ones go. Then it makes total sense. Um, so RIP to him too. And so then, speaking of you know Narendra Modi's uh, extremely competent mental state, um, I came across this. I came across this article, which was coronavirus: Why Gujarat has India's highest mortality rate. So I wanted to give a round of applause to Gujarat. Good job. Good job, good. guys. That's where way, I before, come from. Before we start that, by the way. Um, yeah. I see that it says that the state's fatality rate is pretty low. And I was, I was actually um, thinking about that because I was hearing this. I'm sorry. The, um, what do you call it? The national, not the state. Yeah. The national uh, uh, mortality rate is pretty, pretty low. And apparently um, there's a large number of people who are actually recovering sure. that have COVID as opposed to here where like we've, we've lost a lot of people. Like even though they're, they're, they haven't reached their peak yet and they are in India, mm-hmm. in India in general. But um, I'm wondering, I, I want to find out about that, why people are surviving more. Because they're eating cow shit. Yeah. I well. do wonder, <laughs> is it their immunity? Because they do have a lot of exposure to shit, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a... There. <laughs> no, but really. I see it. I see you. I see you. Um, to shit. Oh, no. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, A, the hot weather. <laughs> I think B, it's oh, the cow God. shit. <clears throat> and I think C, it's the article that I'm going to talk about after this article. That okay. is curing all of them. Turmeric. Got it. Yeah. So we'll so we'll get there. Yeah. It's de- that plays a role. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you're just joining in after I said all that, I'm fucking joking. That's not true. Nobody's fucking so, joining in halfway through a goddamn podcast. You never yeah, know. People are crazy. You never know. And they're just gonna come in and they're just gonna hear me go, "Yes, <laughs> India is good because it's hot weather." And then there goes my credibility. True. So, anyways, <laughs> I just was laughing at this this headline because. Kush and I come from the same exalted area of India. Uh, it's called Gujarat, and um, they the have dry the state. The, the dry, dry state. state. They have yeah. the, and that is where our current PM comes from. And you ask any Gujarati who their favorite person is, and they go PM Modi, PM Modi, <laughs> PM, they fucking, PM. PM Modi. They fucking love, and you ask them why, and they go, "He's from Gujarat. He did very well for Gujarat." Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, great. So here we go. Let's do this. So there are twenty one point five thousand, twenty one thousand five hundred confirmed cases of covid i believe in india so gujarat has india's fourth highest caseload but the so, but the state's fatality rate which means the people who've died is the highest so it's at 6.2% and the national average the national mortality rate average in india is 2.8% mm. so what? india is like knocking that national i mean gujarat is knocking that national average by like you know three times yeah. or so yeah they have the fourth most cases in India, but they have the highest mortality rate. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. So that's like weird. People are like, what's causing people in Gujarat to die more? And why hasn't anything happened? So, Oh my God, Black Label? Do you think it's because people aren't <laughs> drinking Black Label? <laughs> it could be. The alcohol is not, it's not an antiseptic inside their bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the state government of Gujarat said that, this was hilarious, said that more than 80% of those who have died suffered from other ailments, which made them more vulnerable. <clears throat> so okay. then I was like, wait a fucking second. That means you have more sick people in Gujarat in general? What the fuck is going? They diabetes, literally blamed maybe? it. I was saying diabetes, right? Yeah. Maybe diabetes. And then you have a whole other fucking issue. But I was like, you can't just sit there in the state government and be like, yo, 
all these motherfuckers <laughs> had like heart problems yeah, yeah. or diabetes or something. It's not COVID. Like, do you that- think it has anything to do with all the aunties? Every auntie that I see that walks like this, the side to side penguin yeah. walk, is always Gujarati. Straight up, because it I could think it's be. always diabetes, though. <laughs> I think. I think when but they like, have no, but dude, I've seen other aunties with diabetes. None of them walk like the Gujarati aunties. Mm. They are the ones who walk side to side. Like and my so- mom had. Di- yeah, go ahead. No, no, sorry, sorry. When you have COVID and you're one of those aunties, you get, you're like, you have a shortage of breath. So you're like doing more of the side to side. You're like, ah, ah, ah. and then you run into people oh and you fall off and you hit them off a cliff and shit. Because I think India has lots of cliffs. Oh, so you think the mortality rate is unrelated, but sort of related? <laughs> yes. Oh shit. So no, but before we is, get this is some fucking this is from some fucking FBI shit right Yeah, here. That, that was some Yo, forensic shit right there. Before we go too deep into the diabetes shit, I got a counterpoint for you motherfuckers. <clears throat> Others say well, so they, there are people who say it's not unique to Gujarat because in fact, Tamil Nadu has more diabetics than any other state, but their mortality rates lower. It is oh, not the gulab jamuns. Wow, you're ready for that. It is not the gulab jamuns. Yeah. Yep. It's Do you not think the it's just a simple coincidence. No, nope, no, 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 not at all. What I've heard is that the prison, I was about to say the prisons, but this is funny. The hospitals in Gujarat, oh, in Ahmedabad, <laughs> are like fucking prisons is mm. what I've, is what I've, what oh. I've read and what I've heard. They just have really inadequate hospitals. There. So the conditions are just like terrible, probably I to think take so. care of patients. Right. There's conditions are really terrible. Um, people don't have the money if you want to go to a better hospital. Mm-hmm. And then also people, I think maybe they're more rural communities in Gujarat or whatever, and there's not enough education about what to do or how to spot that you have COVID. Right. Gotcha. So I think all of those come together and make some sort of like perfect storm, right? But, right, um, right. and yeah, so that, that was the next point too. Like from this article, you know, a lot of doctors have said that many people are reluctant to seek treatment in government hospitals. It's the reasons include poor facilities as well as a, as well as a lack of trust in the quality of care because there's a stigma attached to having COVID-19. So, you know, if somebody from the, remember we, we reported on that one guy who they, the village said he had COVID when he did it and yeah. then they killed yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think there's very much things like that happening. Um, and then a direct That's wild, you would, we would be the people who'd be like, ah, there's going to be people who talk shit about us because we have COVID. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. You're right. going to die if you don't take care of it. So right. like, instead of us going, oh shit, you know, uh, your dot, you know, did you hear about that auntie? Her daughter, Shivani didn't get into med school. It's more like, yo, did you hear about her? Her daughter got COVID. That bitch yeah, nasty. Yeah, <laughs> that bitch nasty. She got COVID. <laughs> Only, you know why she got COVID? Because she was hanging with her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. She got it from his dick. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? They were, they were sword fighting. Yeah. <laughs> so that, Wait, why did she have a sword? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 2020. Well, everybody's hey, 2020. Everybody's allowed. Yeah. Yeah, um, true. Then there was a direct quote, which I felt so, I felt, I laughed a lot when I read this direct quote, but I also felt so sad. So there was a 67-year-old COVID uh, patient, this lady, who said, you know, quote, there was no breakfast in the beginning, and I had to complain to a local politician to intervene. We had two toilets to share between 40 to 50 patients in the ward. Oh, my God. So that's like one of our grandmas or something, right? Like no no breakfast. She was in there for 10 days. Yeah, or our parents. Yeah. They're all sharing a bathroom, like 40 to 50. Wait, it's like, that so sounds like a dungeon. Did, where did Modi install all the toilets he was talking about? That's a damn <laughs> good really question, bro. 
damn good question. So then, then to make you even more mad, the state, Gujarat state's health minister, Nitin Bhai Patel, of course, told- He is your uncle, isn't he? (laughs) Told the BBC, I disagree that we have failed in our duties. (laughs) <laughs> we currently have 23,000 hospital beds ready in the state, and our medical staff are working around the clock in each hospital. We are also providing them with the best medical equipment to handle the situation, which is slowly coming under control. That's like a scripted general yeah, like, what fucking you- response. Yeah. Like, that like, literally what? says nothing. That's like, that's you know what? The same shit happens here, though. Yeah. The yeah. hospitals are struggling like hell. I know my friends who are literally struggling on a daily basis telling us that they don't have enough uh, nurses for the number of patients coming in, telling us that they don't have enough beds. And meanwhile, the media is just like, everything's under control yeah, and right. they have everything. And we, we actually got 15,000 more ventilators and the hospitals are like, where are those ventilators? He pulled the and, Trump you know? basically deny, lie, deny, yeah. lie, yeah. deny, lie. And make like yeah. really generalized statements. We have yeah. the best medical equipment. What, what do you mean? What do you mean you have the best yeah, medical how, equipment? How did you measure that? I would like <laughs> yeah. to know how you measure And the situation's the slowly coming under control. How, how do you say? Yeah. How do you say? How's that coming? Um, so that's, yeah, that was really funny. And I was like, it's weird that we even turn to these fucking assholes. Like, he's the health minister. Sure, great. But, like, I find it less and less hard to understand why we turn to a politician for a statement like this. I don't care what that fuckhead has to say. Like, why don't we hear from the hospital administrator? Or doctors at the hospital. They would be the ones who are actually there. Yeah, because they know they're going to tell the truth and they're going to fuck up the the elections Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right, and I'm just (laughs) like, why? If you think about it, it's the exact same thing here. Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. We always turn to the wrong, you know, I've said it forever, like, we respect the wrong people. Like, I certainly get the business intention of why these people want to stay in office and so they need to, like, be in front of all these things and stuff but like yeah. fuck that just like we as people need to just be like dog i don't care about your opinion like exactly. yeah. you're some shitty second-rate politician like let me talk to the real people dealing with it yeah like you why know? are we taking medical advice from trump exactly exactly <laughs> exactly 100 exactly so the last part from that oh, article boy. is apparently they're now hiring more people and they're going to be using trains as extra bed areas um so home minister amit shah this is the guy who is said some vile fucking shit in the past that we've reported on. He's mm-hmm. very, like, Islamophobic and, and just, like, says yeah. nasty shit all the time. He apparently announced a series of measures to tackle the disease in the national capital in Delhi, including, increase, including increasing testing three times in six days and providing 500 converted rail coaches to add 8,000 beds and steps for the availability of 60% coronavirus beds in pri- private hospitals at lower rates. Mm-hmm. So this is crazy. This just is crazy. It's good that they're trying to do something. I think it's a too little, too fucking late. But also, yeah. like, it's crazy that they have to convert rail coaches for extra beds and that they also need to take steps now to get people into private hospitals, which I assume would be better hospitals. Right. At, at lower rates, because I'm guessing these private hospitals are just charging out the asshole. Yeah, because they're course, private. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's so sad. Like, I get, like, make your money, but, like, you don't need this much. And you don't need to take advantage of a situation. Like, you just need to fucking help people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? But clearly but there's, there's... Yeah, people don't care. And there was something about rate cards. I forget what it is. Like, the government said that the private hospitals have to start releasing their rate cards in India because they have been starting to charge a lot for just specifically for COVID. Yeah. 
god. Like they've been charging like thirty thousand rupees or something, or or so, I don't know if that's a lot or so. It was some absorbent and exorbitant amount. That that's I like saw. upping the sa- That's like upping the price for um, hand sanitizer. Kind of right, just taking yeah, advantage no, exactly. of the situation yeah, and raising the the yeah. rates. <clears throat> same exact thing. So it's just like really shitty that that's happening in the first place. Right. Um, so okay, so that's that. Uh, that that's definitely a big COVID update for people. So that's great, and this leads to why you know India is doing well in terms of this article about why India is doing well, as Ria said. Ria said India is doing well <laughs> in terms of curing you know COVID, and the reason why is and. And don't, don't, uh, you know, I'm going to give you the headline. It's a bit extreme. And then we could, we could, we could tear into the rest of this. But the headline, the, he- the headline is the Indian healer, the Indian healer who kissed hands to cure coronavirus dies of COVID-19. Okay. It's okay. so not funny. <laughs> it is funny. You know what? Go with God. Go with God. For real. Like it's. You can't stop, you know, this is the only way to stop stupid, let me tell you. But No, but, like, people are just going to be like, well, they sacrificed themselves, you know, but they knew that this was going to happen. God took them because, I don't know, it's, it was oh, like let a those, no. let those Let those fucking people go, too. Because, like, no. the, so the, this guy, this this Baba or self-styled holy man was a black magic healer from self-styled? the... Self-styled? Yeah, I don't know, maybe self-taught or something. Was He, he, was, uh, he was in Madhya Pradesh. And he told his followers he could cure them by kissing their hands. And then when his, when his, um, so he's become, when his, uh, what is it? His symptoms got too crazy. He went to get a COVID test and then he died. Um, And since then he's been kissing a lot of hands and shit. So they realized they've been tracing back all the different people he met and he's a super spreader. He spread to potentially yeah. like tons no of people. Fucking no shit. shit. You're going around <laughs> kissing people's fucking hands during COVID-19 when everyone said, please stay six feet away. And my dude was like, give me a cutie pie hands. He was like, let me fucking super spreader. He's like, I could cure you immediately if you love me because you're pussy. Let me do it. Yeah, at least he wasn't that guy. That's He said, he's like in a corner. He's like, I'll lick your butthole to yeah. get rid of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, at, you know, for certain takeaways from this article were really funny. Like, just like full-on statements that are, I hate that this is, this is how people look at us. So, the existence of Baba healers seems to be a real problem in India where superstitious people <laughs> seek guidance from healers and disregard advice from the government. I was like, Yo, yeah. The well. existence of Baba healers. Baba healers. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? Is I don't it- get it. It's these, it's these dudes, these, these, uh, dudes. these self, self-styled healers. Self-styled. Yeah. So he I could be a self-styled hair. healer. Yeah. yeah huh? So he cuts his own he fucking cuts his hair. Own hair. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he goes, he's got an Instagram and he goes, Ooh, O-O-T-D. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. O-O-T-D. He, and then you see like five hands in yeah. the picture. Yeah. Somehow he, he has like the effect. Face. On his photo, so it looks like he has six hands behind him. He's like, yeah. "Look at me, guys! Look at me!" And he's doing the he's doing the duck face because that represents the kisses he's giving. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I assume I assume that there's probably issues like this. I mean, this is again as much as we make fun of India. This same exact thing is the same shit that those preachers in Florida and New Orleans and shit were getting arrested yeah. for recently, exact right? Same thing. Yep. Yeah. So like, it's just everywhere. There's just fucking dumbassness everywhere. Wait, what was this guy's setup? Did he did he have a kissing booth? 
And it was just like... <laughs> Kush wants to replicate and honor him. (laughs) Kush, I think he was doing drive. I think he was doing drive-by smooches. To be honest. So like they're in the rickshaws, like people have their hands out the window, and he just drives up to them and starts kissing their hands. It's like a Discovery Channel. It's just like Discovery Channel thing. You see him like hanging out on in an alley, and then it just cuts to like a hand hanging out of like a rickshaw, and you see the the predator go after it coming out of there. Holy shit! So then another another quote from this article. This is a really funny quote to me. After this incident, we realized that many people may be seeking medical help from such babas. We have led an intelligence team and identified about 20 such babas who have now been placed in quarantine. <laughs> this is all really funny to me. Yeah, it sounds like They've they have identified like identified 20 such babas. What kind of in intelligence does it take That's to release? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> I was like, yo, they have like the India's... BIA. They have like India's SEAL Team 6 hunting down babas over there. <laughs> Rhea, yeah. did you say, is it the Baba Intelligence Agency? Yeah, it's the BIA. <laughs> there's, mad, there's mad Bengali the fathers. Mad Bengali fathers. They're like, we are babas. The we Baba do not like Bureau this. The Baba Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Baba BBI and the BIA coordinate together for all their powers combined. <laughs> I like that she's yeah, really enjoying I'm, this. I'm freaking out right now. Wait, Just so this. do all the Babas have like meetings, like a round table meeting where it's like, all right, Baba, you get this section of, of India over here. I'll get probably. this section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably oh, like you shit. get this street. We'll go down this street. Get as many smoochies as you can on this street. I'm going to go down this street. Get as many smoochies as I can. But I'm just like, I'm laughing so hard at the fact that there's an intelligence team like hunting down these babas in the night and quarantining them. Yeah, it's like, yo, I, I just got a call. We got baba number two, like, <laughs> yeah, on Samosa okay, Street. <laughs> around the corner. Yo, and you know how there's like, you think they do no, they serve no knock warrants on babas? Like, you think, <laughs> like, you think that's what they're doing out there? <laughs> they're just showing up with battering rams outside yeah, the hut yeah. and they're Stop, like, huh, and they go in. Yo, Baba G, yeah. we need you to come out with your hands up you and your lips <laughs> pursed. <laughs> with your lungi tied and your hands up. Come out. So, okay, so this oh gets... God. I thought, you know, I'm happy that we're enjoying this so much. This gets even worse. Like, uh. this gets even worse. And this will be the this will be the end of the news articles. But my fucking guy, which means not at all my guy, <laughs> Baba Ramdev made a tall claim. This is that dude that's on Indian TV that can like mm-hmm. undulate his belly crazy. Mm-hmm. That yeah. dude. Um, it, previously, this guy has come into my crosshairs because I remember watching him tell somebody who said they had problems with their vision that he told them to crush up some glass, sprinkle some lemon on it, and put it in their eye. <laughs> so after that day, I was like, what? I'm out on this man. Like this guy was entertaining. I'm out now. But- okay. Baba Ramdev made a tall claim that he had discovered a substantial cure for coronavirus with an 80% success rate. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. Baba Ramdev is out there hawking some sort of fucking miracle cure for COVID. And the CEO, I think, of his company, which is called Patanjali, which Ria, mm-hmm. I'm looking at you. You need to take that out of your name. <laughs> I know. You need to take that out of your name. But his, his, his company is called Patanjali, and the CEO said the company would share the results of a clinical trial soon and that the patients treated by the medicine have had tested negative. Oh. They're not sharing any results yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. But they've cured it. Okay. okay. And he claimed that <clears throat> consumption of their medicine, which is called Coronil, 
about 100% recovery in patients. Creative, real fucking creative. Corona, right? So, like, you have nil corona. None. Yeah. Get it? This is stupid. This is just really stupid. And he said that coronal is made out of Ayurvedic elements such as ashwagandha, Mm -hmm. jiloi, and tulsi. That's it. That's it? And people, that, that's, so then why that's wouldn't it. we just put those things together? Yeah. Because he, he, he's not telling you his secret percentages of how he does it and how he smashes them together. And he's not releasing his clinical trial results to you yet because first he wants to put it on the market before he does that. Because that's obviously the fucking way that you're supposed to do this. Yeah, oh yeah this is a straight God. up scam. 100%. This is a straight up Holy scam. The man has... Shit. Have you ever seen that dude's face? He's got two eyes that look in completely different directions. I'm not <laughs> trusting this asshole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? And yeah. nobody normal's belly should be able to do that. That's not impressive to me. Like, you shouldn't oh be able God. to do that. So all, right. all this to just say that I wish we could just send Trump over to India, classify him as a Baba, and have the intelligence agency go after him and quarantine 100%. his ass somewhere. 100%. I think it would be fantastic. All right. So that's it. Oh that's God. it. That's that all was... our news. That's 40 minutes in. Right? Like, I mean, I think we had a really good time with the news this time, though, because yeah. it was just fucking reckless. Yeah, it's crazy out here. The BBI and the BIA. Yeah. <laughs> Rhea's dad is the chief minister of the BB, BBA. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, so here we go. So, okay, guys. So now we're going to play the interview. Law and Order Bob Edition. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to play the interview. We hope you guys enjoy it and that it serves to educate a little bit. Um, what's cool about this is actually a member, before we go into this, a member of my family, not my immediate family, but one of my extended family, had said that they were having issues talking about why the Black Lives Matter movement is important or how to even just talk generally about it to their parents because they were like, my parents are, they're cool with me going to protest. They're cool with me. You know, they, they get it. But then the minute I bring up BLM, they get really like, no, that's not good. And no, and all this sort of stuff. And they came to me, this person, and was like, could you help me think of like talking points or like what I should say to that? And, you know, I've been trying to figure it out for some time now. And I actually realized that this segment will probably be helpful to a lot of people who are having that same issue where like your parents or other people in your community, their hearts might be in the right places, but they might just not quite understand what the BLM movement is, or they might have some idea of what it is that it isn't something like that. So yeah, yeah we, this educated the shit out of me. Yeah, I, I had no idea about a lot of the things that she said yeah. and it was really eye opening because I don't know how many of us do. And so I don't know how many of our parents would know. Right. And so obviously you don't realize that being in America as a South Asian American, like we have been absolutely brainwashed by a lot of shit. Yeah. <clears throat> and especially now, I mean, the news programs that like a lot of our, our parents watch, like whether they're liberal or conservative or whatever, anything like that, a, a lot of the, the news programs, you know, they slant a certain way. They repeat yeah. like information that they haven't really checked, things like that. So this was good to hear from somebody who's been in these movements and yeah. who's been in the government and who kind of has a bird's eye view of everything. And if anything, yeah. we hope it'll help you educate yourself and, uh, you know, foster communication between you and your loved ones about it. We're in some batshit crazy and momentous times. In continuing to educate ourselves and mobilize the community around us, we decided to speak with Leah Thaschel, the Deputy Legislative Director for the New York State Senate. 
She has worked in fashion and as an organizer and political operative with a history in the state Senate and the Democratic Party. Campaign operative for the New York State Democratic Party and ran five state Senate campaigns out here in Long Island. It succeeded in flipping the state legislature, which... For those folks who don't know, uh, New York State had a Republican legislature for 30 years until 2018, and we did the blue wave. Her focus for some time now has been the mass incarceration of black folks, and she led the Close Rikers campaign, which led to Mayor de Blasio agreeing to a 10-year plan for shutdown of the Rikers Island prison. We've edited her responses for timing, but for the most part, have let her answers run as she gave them. We hope what Leah brings up will allow you to have conversations of your own with relatives, friends, anyone who may not know what the BLM movement is and why it's so important that we also support it. Considering recent events, I thought it was important to start by asking Leah to explain what the Black Lives Matter movement is. I know I'm not alone in having the experience of speaking with members of our community who don't exactly know what it is or who may have a warped idea of it. This is a grassroots movement of Black people trying to do all that they can to stop the violence and brutality African-American people face in this country, especially at the hands of the police, at the hands of our institutions and policies that continue to marginalize African-American people. There's a bigger thing that we need to understand here when we are trying to understand the Black Lives Matter movement, and that is anti-Blackness. Anti-Blackness is at the core of who we are as a nation, who we are as a government, and who we are as a society. And it can be a jarring thing to discuss, and it is a huge point of focus in this entire movement. The New York Times recently had an op-ed that said this so powerfully, and I'm going to repeat it, and that is anti-Blackness is the inability to recognize Black humanity. And to break that down even further is anti-Blackness is the inability to see Black people as human. And that's a very powerful thought. And for those that just don't understand why Black people need such a movement. If any of you saw that video of the murder of George Floyd, we watched a man put in his knee, use his body weight to suffocate another man for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And when you break it down as just a human being inflicting this upon a human being, we all feel a natural outrage. But then when you add on the layers of race, which is a white cop kneeling on a black man's neck, it in many ways forces you to confront the reality of the America that we live in. That is what this movement is trying to achieve. It is trying to It's calling out to all of us. It's crying out. It's saying that Black people are dying and there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves. We need you to help us. It is a movement to get us as a nation to see Black people as humans. And, you know, as heartbreaking as that is, it is the reality of it. And it will forever be in our history books, this moment that we're watching unfold before us. We're watching a people that even after all that they've fought to get their rights, they're still not able to just survive. 
the Black Lives Matter movement for me is getting all of us as Americans to confront that understand that we all need to rise up, mobilize, organize, and speak up, use our voices, use our platform in the aid of our African-American brothers and sisters. So why is the movement even needed, you ask? Let's start with marijuana. Good old weed. Black people and white people smoke marijuana at similar rates, but black people are 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession over white people. And when they are arrested for a crime, they are more likely to get convicted of that crime than white people who are arrested for the same crime. So even though Black people only represent 35% of drug arrests, 46% of them are convicted of those drug crimes. African-American men make up 13% of the population, yet they make up 40% of the prison population. So we have a justice system that consistently makes sure that Black people get punished more severely than their white counterpart for the same crime. Now, let's look at policing. From 2013 to 2019, 1,840 Black people have been killed by the police. Numbers like that tell us that Black people are three times more likely to be killed by the police. And notice I said Black people. I didn't say poor Black people. I didn't say uneducated Black people. I said Black people. Regardless of a Black person's socioeconomic background, if they are driving a Beamer, if they are highly educated and they make eight figures to the police, They are just a Black person, and therefore, they are a threat. And that means there's nothing that they can do to protect themselves when a policy is based on the color of their skin. They are 1.3 times more likely to be unarmed when they are killed. And all of the names you keep hearing recited, like Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, Trayvon Martin, uh, George Floyd, the list goes on and on. All of these people were unarmed and shot down without due process, without a conviction, without an arrest, without their day in court. I just wanted to highlight these facts because these stats are important because they give us the hard numbers to understand that not only is this movement needed, it is long overdue. So knowing all of that, hearing all of those really ridiculous statistics, what can we as South Asians do? to help support Black people in their fight? The first responsibility South Asian Americans have in the Black Lives Matter movement is to, first and foremost, educate ourselves on our history. We all don't really explore how and when we were allowed into America, and that is solely because of one piece of legislation, which is the Immigration Act of 1965. But before I break down that piece of legislation, I just want to talk about uh, something that a lot of brown folk in America don't know. South Asians have actually been in America since the late 1800s. Um, That's when we started slowly coming here. Um, There was a lot of farmers that came. There were a lot of traders looking to do business in the states that came. And um, at some point during the early 1900s, the population was growing very quickly and people started noticing that there were more and more brown people. And 
it reached a point where white America got terrified, and、uh, the newspapers、um, had headlines that said it's the turban tide or the Hindu invasion. You know,、uh, these brown folks are coming from. India, and we all need to be scared. I find it hard sometimes to understand the timeline in legislation that allowed South Asian folks to be allowed into this country, and I hope Leah's walkthrough will be as helpful to you as it was to me. And in reaction to the public outcry to、uh, the brown presence in America, the U.S. government passed an act in 1917. It was the Immigration Act of 1917 that essentially banned. South Asians from entering this country, and then it took it a step further and prevented all South Asians currently within America at that moment from ever being eligible for citizenship. And、um, one of my favorite things to point out is that in that legislation that was passed by. Back then's taxpayer dollars and is now preserved in the Library of Congress. Should you ever like to look it up, it says in writing that Indians are the same as alcoholics, beggars, and the insane, and that they are undesirable to ever get citizenship in the United States of America. So we, as a people, were not wanted nor welcomed from. The late 1800s up until this Immigration Act of 1965. Now, this piece of legislation. So, the legislation was designed to only allow in South Asian Americans that were either highly educated or have a highly specialized skill that was in desperate need. A lot of people in my family, myself included, all came to America because of the nursing shortage in the 70s and 80s. My aunt came through that. My mom came through that. My husband's family came because his aunt was a nurse, and through chain migration, the rest of their family was able to come. But the U.S. government at that time, which was still an all-white government, let us remember, specifically handpicked the South Asians that could enter. They specifically picked people that would be successful, that had opportunity waiting for them. So when they walked off that plane, they walked into a job. I can't ever take away the immigrant experience for our parents. It was not easy. It was it was fraught with a lot of pain, a lot of sacrifice, and you know I honor them for what they did. But they were able to do so. They were able to walk off that plane because of that act. And that act was only passed because Black people fought for civil rights and got the Civil Rights Act passed in 1964. Imagine if our parents tried to come before 1965; they would have faced segregation. They would have had to sit in the back of the bus. They wouldn't have been even allowed to call themselves citizens of this country because this country made it clear that they are not worthy of becoming citizens. So, I say all of this to say is that we, as South Asian Americans, don't even know this. We don't know this. All we know is that look how. Successful we are. Look how prosperous we are. Look at how much we've been able to do in this country. The education we've been able to get, the money that we've been able to achieve. But all of that came due to the actions, the sacrifice, the blood, sweat, and tears of African American people who 
sat at those lunch countertops who got sprayed down with hoses that got dogs set on them um, for peacefully protesting and for civically disobeying. They put their bodies on the line so that when we walked off the plane, we never needed to know what it was like to go use the colored bathroom. That's very powerful. And when people talk about the model minority myth, and of course I have to bring it up because it is a huge part of the conversation, white America so successfully managed to convince us of was that we're special. Look at you guys. You guys are special. You're not like these people over here. These people, look at them. They can't get far. And we bought into that hook, line, and sinker. We are like, yes. You're special. Look at our degrees. Look at our homes. Look at how many cars I have. But we're not. It was designed so that we would immediately try to differentiate ourselves and stay away from the African-American community. The other thing that we don't know about our history is when that act was passed, the only community that accepted Indians was the Black community. You know, in Harlem, there uh was this really famous Indian restaurant that was set up in the 40s. And I recently came across a book that was talking about how Bengali Muslims would debate with Malcolm X about Islam there and how, you know, it was a safe haven for activists, revolutionaries, artists, musicians um, to come and enjoy Indian food. And, you know, it was that community that gave um, Indian people or people of South Asian descent a safe haven in a country that didn't want them there whatsoever. We don't know our history. We don't know how big of a debt we owe the African-American community. And until we take the time to educate ourselves on that, we can't really be helpful to the movement. So that's first and foremost on how we need to start. The second way we need to start is we need to start tackling the anti-Blackness that exists in our community. We all know how colorism plays such a huge role in our community. We have, as a culture, this belief that darker skin is inferior, and that directly goes towards our uh, feelings towards African Americans. And we need to confront that, and we need to dismantle that, and we have a responsibility to do so. And that's going to manifest itself in the form of uncomfortable conversations with uncles and aunties confronting them about this issue. It is important to understand that we actually have a shared history with African Americans. You know, they came to this country as slaves. They were taken from their homes. They were looted and brought here as property. Likewise, South Asia was looted by the British for 200 years. We were colonized for 200 years. We were treated as second-class citizens in our own country. We were told our own mother tongue is not worthy to be spoken, only English. You know, we have a shared experience. My grandparents remember what it was like living in British Raj. I remember my grandfather talking about his dad trying to beg the local school to allow him to enroll, and it was a school for British children, and they wouldn't let him. My great-grandfather was um, like a janitor at that school, and he asked if his son could sit in on those classes, and they said, absolutely not. You're, you're a brown person. Why would you ever be allowed to do this? We have that shared experience, you know, and our parents 
can understand that feeling because their parents lived through it and their grandparents lived through it. They heard it more than we ever did. It is that common ground that can bring us together and, you know, help us stand united. So it's our responsibility to do so. I wish I could understand how, after having a shared experience of oppression, brown folks could still decide not to support black people in their fight. But that conversation would involve a lot of cursing, rhetoric, and my mic levels probably peaking like crazy. So for now, knowing all of this, what can we do from here? Lucky for us, 2020 is the most critical election year of our country's history. It's important because of three things. Number one, the presidency is up for grabs. Number two, Congress is finally up for grabs in the form of we have the ability now to fight for the Senate because the bulk of Senate seats are up for re-election. And finally, and frankly, one could argue the most important, state legislature elections are up. So that means we have the opportunity to flip traditionally red conservative states into progressive states. All three aspects are important because by being able to win on each of those levels, we are not just getting rid of the GOP and uh, Trump, which is going to feel real, real good to all of us. That's the least important. The most important thing that we will achieve is that we will have set up our country to have a decade of progressive reform and change, which is what we so desperately need in order to tackle the very, very clear issues that face us. People always kind of view election cycles as something you just observe on the news. South Asian Americans also historically have the lowest turnout at every election cycle, which is embarrassing. But it is understandable. You know, Hasan Minhaj said it best. It's that whole concept of the immigrant task, right? which is, you know, we came here, they gave us all these opportunities, they let us make our money, let's keep our head down, let's not stir up the pot, let's, you know, just let them figure it out. We're just going to sit over here and, you know, study, become doctors, you know, make money. That's our focus. But it is up to our generation to demand our seat at the table and to demand to take part in these elections. And a big question I always get is, well, how do I do that? So there are three ways. Okay, there are three prongs, if you will, in getting involved in an election. Number one is register voters. Um, first and foremost, ensure that you are registered. Some people don't realize that when they moved, their registration lapsed. Um, New Yorker is a city of renters. So, you know, people who rent constantly need to check their voter registrations, but they forget and then they find out they're ineligible or they've missed the deadline. The other thing about voter registration that people don't realize is that it's not monitored on a federal level. There's no federal oversight system for voter registration. It's actually done on a county level or if you live in the city, a city level. So, for example, in New York City, each borough has its own board of election. This board is who sets up the rules on what you need to do in order to register to vote, what you need to provide as proof. Um, they also decide whether or not you're eligible to vote, and they also set the dates and deadlines in order to register. I live in Long Island. I live in Suffolk County. So for me, 
My oversight is the Suffolk County Board of Election that sets the dates and handles the paperwork. So when I talk about registering to vote, it sounds so simple, but it's actually not. There's a lot of layers that need attention. And that is, especially in our community, making sure that you have properly registered to vote. Most boards of elections, especially in the city, they're great. They have kits to help you um, register voters or to help, you know, maybe your parents or uncles and aunts navigate voting or even your cousins that are going to be able to vote for the first time in this election to figure out what they have to do if they're living in Ohio because they go to college there and they're not going to be here for the election cycle. So registering is a huge part. It may sound insignificant and it may sound very simple, but it's actually not. It's very complicated. And it's usually an immigrant population that misses out on that chance because of the paperwork or the scariness of having to go ask for that and dealing with that. So that's one thing that you do. The next thing, and as a former campaign operative, I would argue the most important thing is engaging voters. And what that means is volunteering for a local campaign, volunteering for a Senate campaign, um, and engaging with people one-on-one on why you believe in this candidate. I'm not really one to advocate for one party over another. What I believe in is looking for progressive candidates that mirror your convictions and your belief structure and makes the commitment to fight for the policies that you care about. And now when we're talking just in the lens of the Black Lives Matter movement, you should be looking for candidates that support intense police reform, like defunding the police, creating more equitable policies that will help African-Americans and other people of color in this country. That's what you should be on the lookout for. And as studies have shown us time and time again, Nothing helps convince someone to vote for a particular candidate than a volunteer who takes the time to either make a phone call or knock on their door and talk to them about, hey, I'm supporting this candidate and here's why. I hope you can do the same on Election Day. Nothing converts votes more than that. Some people like to be like, oh, well, you know, I have like 10,000 followers on my Instagram. I'll just, you know, post about this candidate and they'll all go out to vote. That's great that you're going to do that. And yes, you should use your platform to tell people to vote. However, that doesn't create votes. So engaging voters is important. And the last part is also one of those things that, well, that seems apparent, but it's not. And that is ensuring that people get to vote. On election day, historically, minority communities, especially African-American communities, experience the most difficulty in being able to cast their ballots. You know, volunteer to offer those um, areas to assist people in getting to the polls. Another population that really struggles is the elderly. My constituency is mostly elderly, and we have a lot of 85-plus people who don't drive anymore, whose children aren't local. And a big part of my election cycle was arranging rides for them on the day of the election. And that is an incredibly important thing to do. I mean, it sounds so small, like getting people out to vote, but it is so big and it is so meaningful and it is so impactful, especially in such a critical election like this. We need everybody to get to the polls. This is our chance to kind of take back 
the power of the vote. I always say this because, unfortunately, our generation seems to have a level of disillusionment and cynicism when it comes to voting. And I don't blame them. I mean, 2016 hit all of us hard. And even before that, you know, there's just a lot of things that can be very demoralizing. But here's what I have to say about that. They want you to believe your vote doesn't matter. They want you to believe you can't make a difference. They truly want you to stay at home and do nothing and accept the fact that you can't change anything. That's how they win. And how we win is by saying, oh, but I matter. My voice matters. My vote matters. And you will hear me. And you will hear me loudly. So that was really cool. That was really eye-opening. I think we definitely learned a lot from that. Um, I hope you guys did too. And I hope it helps you guys to kind of figure out what to talk to your parents about. Um, Cause it kind of gives more information than just like emotional responses, which we might have some from time to time. I know that's how I am. I get like really emotional about it and I don't know how to say the facts. I told you guys last time, I don't like this. This is good. And this is bad. That's how I argue. So um, <laughs> I hope that this helps you. Uh, thank you so much to Leah for actually reaching out and, and letting us know that she was, was well-informed in this area, in this space, so that we could actually get her to talk about it here. And um, you can, you guys can follow her at Amashik. It's A-M-M-A-C-H-I-C underscore. Um, you can find her. She's also, you know, as we mentioned, she also is a stylist. So that's pretty fucking cool. Like, she does a lot of cool fucking things. And I hope that we get to kind of <clears throat> shine a spotlight on what she does, her education, her background, and follow her if you want to kind of keep the movement going and know what to do. Yeah, and if you have any questions, reach out to her. Reach out to us. If you know somebody, you know, in the movement that we can continue these conversations with, um, that would be that would be great. We'd love to have them on. For sure. Rhea, play the music. Did you just fart? No. Oh, I thought I heard a fart. <laughs> I thought like literally it happened right on the Rhea, play the music, and then I heard a That's what it sounded what? like. That's exactly what it sounded like. Mild Mannered and Timid is produced by Kanal, Kush, and Rhea. Edited by Kush and Rhea. With music and scoring by Rhea. I'm generally useless. See you next time. <laughs>